topic that I was asked to speak on tonight is leading strong people. So before I share some of my thoughts, I'd like to ask you a question. Chances are, if you're here attending this, watching this, you're a strong leader in your context, uh, else you wouldn't have signed up for something like this. I'd like to ask you to think about all the people you've had in your Christian journey that have led you, wherever that was, and here's the question. What was it about them, about their leadership, that helped develop some of the strength in you? Chances are we have a wide range of different answers. If you want to drop some of your thoughts into the comments, please feel free to go ahead. I'm going to share some of my thoughts here. But what are the things that they've done that has put wind in your sails? In their leadership of you, either purposefully or sometimes inadvertently, it put wind in your sails. What were some of those things? Because if we reflect on those, chances are we can imitate them when we're in a leadership position to bring other people through on teams. I'm thinking of Ray Oliver, who when I was in my late teens, brought me onto his staff, ordained me as an elder. Actually, at age 20, I think it was, Andile. Um, but I thought I was too young. Ray took a chance with me. And uh, whenever I made mistakes, would just fix things behind me. Sometimes I was unaware even of the problems I'd caused. And uh, just, just took a risk, bringing me on, allowing me to learn on the job. I'm thinking of Grant. I served on, on Grant's team. Between the two of them, I was an elder here at One Life Church for 14 years. And with regards to my preaching uh, when I would preach, Grant would often say to me, Steve, you have a gift with regards to communication. I wasn't always so sure about that. Often I'd preach a lemon, drive home thinking that will be the last message I think I'll ever preach. And Grant would just put wind in my sail saying, you've got a gift, go for it. And he would give me an opportunity uh, to preach in various forums. At the same time as what have they done to blow wind in your sails, I'd like you to try and answer this question. Where has the rub been? on the team, because whenever there's strong people in a room together or on a team, there is usually some kind of rub. That's almost the definition of being strong and together on a team. And if we reflect on those things, again, we can decide how we're gonna be moving forward, but sometimes it's easier to reflect backwards than it is to fashion our leadership going forwards. I uh, often think that for people that are on a team, going to lead a team or plant, they think, well, all of the problems existed there. I'm going to have a totally different team. My team's going to be full of strong people. We're all going to walk together in harmony. We're all going to have the same purpose, the same vision, singing Kumbaya as we gallop off into the purposes that God has for us. But this is seldom the case because when we bring through strong people, and surely that should be our hope as church lead, in, in church leadership, when strong leaders come through, they come through with strength. And so for me, some of the thoughts that I've written down have been fashioned actually in some of the rub that we've had on our team. Jackson and I have now led this team for eight years, far from perfect and still figuring out some of the answers. But I'd like to start off with this idea is that if you're wanting to bring through strong people and strong leaders in any form of church leadership, including planting, you can't lead others beyond where you've led yourself. You can't lead others beyond where you've led yourself. I've just picked five things that are in these printed notes uh, to, to just touch on, that if, if you are not leading yourself in this area, 
chances are you're not gonna have other people come along with you. For example, if we take security, your internal personal security, how you stand in God, how you recover from when things go wrong, when you've had criticisms, when, when things are just tough and, and you start feeling a little bit insecure. In fact, if we were to take that idea of security, if you could take a number line of north through to 10, what number would you give yourself for your security as a person and as a leader? And probably it would vary from day to day and from situation to situation. But let's say that, that you're a four in terms of your personal security in God. That gap that you and I would have of that other six would mean that everybody around us has got to cope with our insecurities in their leadership. And that's a difficult thing to do. This has been a personal journey that over and over I've just felt God bring me back to even the smallest little insecurities and challenge me, Steve, this isn't good enough. You've got to deal with these things. Insecurities should be the enemy. And very often for many of us, they're just a friend that we keep. We just kind of nurse them and nourish them. But insecurities are deadly when it comes to leadership. And if I want to lead strong people who are themselves secure, I can't do that if I'm not living secure. David says this in Psalm 16 and verse 5. He says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. It's a verse I've been reflecting on the last few weeks in my personal devotions as God has uncovered yet more insecurities inside of me saying, I need you to become more secure. What about humility? You can't lead others where you haven't been when it comes to humility. Without humility, this is a big one. We become oversensitive, defensive, self-reliant. We want to always be right, get the last word in and never say sorry. What a terrible person to, to be following. If you're leading that team and this is true of you and, you and you're struggling to find this humility, boy, that's tough. It takes humility to step out the boat. It takes humility to risk looking foolish, to be willing to learn from others and to ask questions. On a scale of 0 to 10, how humble are we? Well, if you answer 10, you're probably proud. This is a difficult thing to measure. Without humility, I'm often giving advice, often unsolicited. I'm often quoting myself, worrying about what others think or say, making myself out to look right or to look like a victim, making out other people to be wrong or the bad guys. Without humility, I give in to the sins of comparison and envy and jealousy. All of these are deadly when it comes to bringing through other strong people because just like Saul, when he was leading the nation of Israel, his pride, his insecurity has made it very difficult for even the best king the nation ever had, David, to come through as a leader. And if we aren't dealing with these things, we're in trouble and the teams that we lead are in trouble. What about emotional health? This is probably one of the least spoken about aspects of church leadership certainly in my experience or my journey. And yet I believe that if we don't attend to our own emotional health, constantly monitoring, regulating ourselves, if we don't live in an emotionally healthy place as children of God and as leaders, we'll have many more leaders in churches continue to live in the red zone, in danger of burning out emotionally and living in God's second best for us. I had a, a complete physical breakdown uh, when was it? 14 years ago. I never want to go back to that place again, but I've learned so many lessons in my personal journey of emotional health and I continue to learn. But an emotionally unhealthy leader can never produce a healthy 
church emotionally. Yeah. It's impossible. As Stan's just been saying, you produce what you are, not what you say you want. What about this fourth one? We talk about not being able to lead others beyond where you've led yourselves. What about vulnerability? I, I in my, I guess, development through high school and as a young adult, viewed vulnerability as, as something that made you weaker. I had various defense mechanisms to kind of push away from any areas of vulnerability in my life. And I guess linked to emotional health, I've been on this massive journey of discovering how powerful vulnerability is. I wouldn't describe myself as the most vulnerable person. I'm still on a journey. My wife is helping me with this constantly. But it's tremendously powerful. You see, the only reason we would hide those vulnerabilities generally is because we're too proud to let them show. That we think people wouldn't follow us if they knew who we really were. And yet God knows who we really are and he's willing to work with us and to move us forward. The amazing thing about vulnerability is it triggers a response from people on teams with us that just brings everybody's guards down. When we are honest and when we are sharing, we're engaged with people about where we're at, where they're at, tremendously powerful. It means that on that team, you don't need to have it all together to flourish. And this final one that I picked just for this list of empathy. We can't take people where, beyond where we are with regards to empathy. Again, this is, this is probably a list of five things I've worked the hardest at. That's why they're down on this piece of paper. Your five might be different. But Brené Brown, who I've listened to quite a bit of her stuff, read some of her books. She works with most of the Fortune 100 companies, top companies in the U.S. She said this. She said she cannot think of a single transformative leader in any of those companies who are not devoting a huge amount of time to soft skills like empathy. Being able to feel with others, not to feel sorry for them, but to feel with them. For some people that comes very naturally, but for others, got to work really hard at that. I'm saying all of this because to say this is that if we're going to bring strong people along with us on the journey, we've got to allow God to be doing this work in our lives. And that opens the door for strong men and women to come and lead together with us to say, hey, there's space here for me. We don't need to have it all together. We can figure it out as we go. The second big point I'd like to make related to developing strong leaders, in my experience, is to look for heart alignment before looking for style alignment. Look for heart alignment before style alignment. A few years back, uh, this is about five years ago, a couple joined our church. I ended up meeting with them after one of our church services and they sat with tears streaming down their faces, speaking about the pain that they'd had. They'd been in a, in a different church with a completely different culture and come along to our church broken and hurt. They had been seen as a threat. They were both strong leaders, but the woman in particular, lady named Moy, an exceptionally gifted communicator. She prophesies. She's an activator. She can get things going. And they sit in, sitting in my office, tears streaming down their face. We've just met, telling me about how they were viewed as a threat because they were too strong in their previous church and basically got kicked out because the pastor of that church thought that she was vying for his position, which she wasn't. Just as we were talking, engaging, I felt God remind me of this verse from 1 Chronicles chapter 12. So I said, would you mind turning to this passage in the Bible? It's a verse that I'd heard Grant teach on some years before that. But uh, David is busy building his army and he doesn't actually know who to trust at that time. So 
But it says some Benjamites and other men from Judah also came to David in his stronghold. Now, Benjamin was Saul's tribe. So very likely that if there was an assassin going to come and kill him, it would have come from the tribe of Benjamin. And David, it says, went out to meet them and said to them, if you have come to me in peace to help me, I'm ready for you to join me. But if you have come to betray me to my enemies when my hands are free from violence, may the God of our ancestors see it and judge you. Basically what he's saying, he says, if your heart is connected, if your heart is here, we can work out style. That's the only question I have is, are our hearts on the same page? And it says, then the spirit came upon Amasai, chief of the 30, and he said, we are yours, David. We are with you, son of Jesse. Success, success to you and success to those who help you for you. God will help you. So David received them and made them leaders of his raiding bands. And I read this passage out to this couple who sit there bewildered because I say to them, I don't need, you don't need to have our style to come and be part of this family. We can figure that out. But if we've got the same heart, I welcome you. You don't need to jump through a whole lot of hoops. I know people who know you. Please come along on the journey. Last year, Moy came onto our staff. She is one of the most gifted activators I think I've ever met. During lockdown, when we've been trying to get all the other life groups in our church just to meet, she has started five new life groups from scratch. She, at our new members thing that we had the other day on Zoom, about a third of the people there all said, we are friends of Moy's. She told us to come along here. Her, her heart has been with us. Her style is connecting in with our style. But it was a, for her, her turning point was the simple conversation of saying, hey, I'm welcome here. There's space for me. We don't need to tick all the boxes, a hundred box checklist. Just one question. Is our heart together? They said, yes, it is. And they've earned. They've been an amazing um, couple to us. Just a comment on this, looking for heart alignment before style alignment. I, uh, knowing I was doing this talk, I sent out a message to about 13 or 14 strong people, men and women, that are either on our eldership team or on staff, saying to them, what are your top three things if you were giving this talk? And uh, one of the guys sent me a message back. He's a, an executive coach that works with a lot of leadership teams. And he says, strong people that have got a high EQ, some of those soft skills, says you can risk with them. But strong people with a low EQ, he says generally the damage that they cause is not worth the strength that they bring. Which I thought was a really interesting comment in this, in this uh, section looking for heart alignment. But also if they've got zero soft skills, no matter how much other strength they bring, they're probably going to cause devastation. Thirdly, strong leaders, to my mind, need vision and care but not micromanagement. They need vision and care, but not micromanagement. Out of those 13 or 14 odd messages I sent out, 11 messages came back to me that in their top three, so I'm not prompting this, they didn't give it much thought, 11 people sent back, strong people need space. Space to grow and space to lead. I'm not sure if that was a message at me, that I'm not giving enough space, I hope not. But I'd like to explain what I mean by this point. If I use the metaphor of a car being driven down a road, casting vision for a team or for strong people is basically saying this is our direction, but it's also saying that's where the yellow lines are on the road. I'm asking you to oversee this particular ministry. What I hope that you would do, I don't want you doing that or that, 
But anything within those yellow lines, please feel free to shape it however you see fit. That for me is vision. Care is concern for the well-being of the driver of that car. That I care for their well-being. I want to know that they're doing okay, that their family's okay, that, that we love each other. Guess what? That should be part of local church. But sometimes in our enthusiasm to get the job done, we forget about that. So strong leaders need vision. They need care. We all need care, but not micromanagement. Micromanagement for me is when I'm constantly dropping into somebody else's space, meddling with their decisions behind their back, if I could say that. Structurally, if you're leading a team, you probably have got authority to make calls and to make changes. But here's what happens. Let's say that I've... um, my uh, very good friend, Ian, his nickname's Geordie, is on our team. He oversees all of our worship teams. So he's making calls. Hopefully he knows where the yellow lines are and he's doing an amazing job leading that. But let's say I arrive at church on a Sunday morning and I see something happening with the music teams and I immediately start going and making changes. Then Ian comes 10 minutes later, he says, what, why is it different to what we decided? No, Steve came in and he just made a whole lot of changes. Because we love each other, he'd probably cope with it. But if I did that a second week and a third week, he starts to think, actually, that guy doesn't really trust me. I'm just the puppet, but he's the hand. And so before he makes any new decisions, he's going to run all of them by me because he doesn't want to be discouraged by changing things. I don't want all the decisions run by me because that means he's disempowered as a strong leader. So micromanagement is getting in the way, but it's also, even if things are are going wrong, unless it's an absolute crisis, I'm doing my best to hold comments till I can feed back in another channel. Lest I say there's a crisis, that we can have a conversation, just interested to find out why did you make that call? These were my thoughts, those were her thoughts. Great, actually I love it. Let's go with it, I didn't understand. That for me is the aspect of micromanagement which can crush strong people's spirits and eventually they just say, you know what? Thank you, but you clearly didn't need a leader here. You just needed a worker. And um, that's not where we want to end up with our teams. Fourthly and finally, strong leaders will quickly discern between genuine love and a utilitarian relationship. What I mean by that word utilitarian is that you're only there for the value you provide, the work you can do. And I guess all of us, are hardwired to know when we're just being taken advantage of our skills or whether people really care for us. We feel that from a very young age, actually. On the playground, we figured that out with other friends. And when there's a, a heart, um, what's the word? Your, your, a heart love that we have for people on our teams and in our local churches, that love can actually bridge over a whole lot of misunderstandings and a whole lot of the rub. You might not get everything right. You might not say the right things. Occasionally, we might tamper in that micromanagement. We might not do all of those top five things, empathy and emotional management correctly. But if there's genuine love and people feel it and they know it, that can take us so, so much further when it comes to other strong people. By the same token, you can say you love people, but if people catch that what you've actually got is just a utilitarian relationship, And strong people on your team, I'm just giving an example. If strong people on a team watch you deal with another strong person who's busy leaving, and like, well, they're no use to the team anymore, good riddance. That 
Stan was talking about culture, sends a culture back to the rest of the team that I'm just here for what I can do. And as soon as I stop being useful, the relationship's over. This is a very difficult thing to manage when there is genuine pain on a team. But if people that are connected with us in our life groups on an eldership team, a deacon team, if they don't know that we genuinely love them, that they're just there for what they can do, actually, I think we stop being the true church of God. And we just become some kind of high-functioning NGO. Because the, Jesus said, the way that they will know that you're my disciples is by how you love one another. Not by how much you can serve the person who's leading the team, but how much you love one another. And if we can do these, some of these things, I've given just a partial list for us to add in. All the other things that came in on those 14 messages will be a much longer list. But if we can do some of these things and other things as God guides us, wouldn't it be cool to have the dream of strong men and women running parallel together with each other, going forward, sticking within our yellow lines, occasionally having a rub, but constantly growing all learning together, figuring things out, and hopefully reaching many more people with the gospel than we do just by ourselves or with every strong person that we come into contact with feeling disempowered.